This is the Defenders Podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're back talking about Falcon and the Winter Soldier with Assembled, the making of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Isaiah is challenging Sam just on whether or not a black man should be Captain America. He has that line where they will never let a black man be Captain America. And even if they would, no self-respecting black man would ever want to be. We didn't want Isaiah to be wrong about that. That's going to be part of his ongoing struggle. He says... Man, I know every time I pick the shield up, a portion of the world is going to hate me for it. Sam got to live with that as he goes off and tries to make this work. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. We're back talking about Falcon and Winter Soldier for the final time, talking about the full series and the making of Falcon and Winter Soldier. We're also going to be announcing the winner of our pub quiz and those wonderful Falcon and Winter Soldier goodies. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow Defenders. I'm one of your other hosts, John. And rounding out this trio of shield-bearing, wing-flying, and titanium-vibranium arm-bearing, I'm Chris. (laughs) Vibranium arm-bearing. Like it, yeah, because he is. He's bearing his own arm. <laughs> Absolutely. Chris mentioned just before we start recording. Um, in case any of our fellow defenders haven't seen this, uh, Hot Toys, who are a premium um a fig- a sculpture fi- figure sculpture or statues, yeah. yeah, they've just released images of the new Captain America, Sam Wilson, in his Falcon suit and their statue for that about four hundred dollars, uh, I think it is. Uh, go check out the images of it. It looks stunning it looks very yes. very cool so poseable with all the extras with the wings the full mm-hmm. suit the the visor like it just looks oh yeah. with red wing and the shield as well yeah so, they yeah. look really cool and just a red wing not an army of red wings because mm-hmm. that would be so much cooler <laughs> a flock of red wings if you will but we're here to close out our discussion on that. Fuck the Witch Soldier. Really enjoyed the uh, the six episode season, as you know, if you were listening to our coverage of uh, of the six episode seasons. Uh, we're just going to really discuss the making of episode, which came out on Disney Plus uh, this week. Uh, we talked about the behind the scenes um, and some of the uh, creation of the show and and what happened on it. Um, before we go into it, gentlemen, what did you think of the making of overall? I, I really liked it. Actually, um, I thought there were some really great aspects to it. Um, I like the fact that. You know, they kind of confronted the whole COVID thing, yes. but also um, there was some really good SFX information mm-hmm. and the sort of production design information, which was really, really interesting. I mean, I'm always a bit of a sucker for, for those parts of um, making of. Oh, yeah. And um, and I thought uh, that Carrie uh, Scogland, uh, she just seemed like a really great person to work with um i I really liked her kind of interjecting throughout the the episode Mm. and just giving the context i guess um so i thought that was really really good um so yeah i really i kind of really enjoyed this um i I still don't necessarily think it's up there with say the mandalorian making of where Mm. you've got the the void or the no the volume um, and that they introduced (laughs) which you know was just so interesting yeah Uh, but i i just you know a lot of sfx stuff here around the fights which are yeah was just really really interesting like so much sfx um than what I realised when oh, yeah. like watching it, just how photo real they get it. Yeah, we'll certainly talk about the the detail of uh, of the making of Chris. What did you think of it overall? 
Um, overall, it was fine. I I, I think yeah. that's kind of I, it, it was it wasn't great. It was good, good, mm-hmm. fine, good. Like it was in there. Um, yeah. couple of interesting things. I would have preferred a bit more focus on some elements, uh, which we'll get into yeah. uh, over others. Um, I do the the key problem with these making ofs, and it, it, it's a it's a fair problem. These are made in a vacuum. These are made and recorded and filmed and asked questions of back when they're producing, when they are making the film and the TV show, uh, in this case. So they don't know the culture. In theory, they don't know the cultural relevance parts and the, the, the bits that are really going to kick off. The impact. Absolutely. The impact, yes. exactly. Yeah. So yeah. you either go whole hog and you try and get every possible angle and you end up with a load on the cutting floor mm-hmm. or you zero in on certain things and hope that those are the elements that really do um, ring true yeah. uh, and do have an impact when it airs. And I think that's going to be the, the overall qu- question going forward. Absolutely agree with you, Chris. And, and John, you mentioned, you know, the high bar for Disney Plus really is that first season of The Making of the Mandalorian. It was uh, an episode for each episode of the show and um, went into really good detail, had roundtable discussions with all the uh, all the directors and, and writers of the show chatting to each other about how they made the show. And I would assume that what happened was Disney looked at the viewership of this and said, we're not going to spend the time on doing a really in-depth yeah. dive into that because hardly anybody watches it. So we're going to do one episode. And it seems like they just cut the kind of the pure stuff, the kind of stuff that you would get small little clips of to promote the show and turned it into an episode rather than having really in-depth discussions mm. about what they did and what they accomplished. Whereas we, we did talk about in the WandaVision making of, there was a couple of things that they just didn't talk about at all. Here, we did get some a little bit more depth on the making of, I thought, than we saw in in the in some of the WandaVision stuff. I guess the problem for me is that it feels too polished for a making of. It, mm. You know, I think back to the Lord of the Rings stuff where it was well, almost like a fly-on-the-wall documentary. It's like they need to have someone who's not involved with the production just mm. doing that stuff and then editing it. And I think it's either you do that thing or like with The Mandalorian where, yeah, it is polished, but it almost felt like a round table after they had finished and coming back to their experiences and cutting that with just fly-on-the-wall footage that they had of shooting The Mandalorian. And so for me, this, this, as you say, it just feels much more like a marketing thing, uh, a cutting together of stuff that you would have um, sort of in in a DVD that isn't really quite as exciting as what you got with the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So it's just it just feels too polished for me. Um, it feels a bit like kind of just there for the sake of it in some respects. But it's still got some interesting stuff, yeah, uh, for sure. And I think, as I say, anything around production design and um, and SFX is just like really interesting for yeah. me. Yeah. Well, let's get into some bullet points, some of the big kind of things that stood out to us um, from the making of episode. I think my first one that stood out to me really was the the concept. I think Carrie Scoggin, the uh, director who directed every episode, is the one that brought this up, where she says that the concept in here for the show is um, about the new hero. What is a new type of hero now? Um, when Captain America originally was created back in the 40s, um, he is a character that is supposed to represent 
army and soldiers and those types of heroes. And now these days, after 9-11, after so many events that have gone on, the real heroes now are the first responders, the people that go in and help and save rather than attack and shoot effectively. So uh, I thought that was a really interesting central through line uh, for the story of the kind of kickoff point for this story with the with Falcon and the Witch Soldier. Yeah, it, it's a real interesting uh, change in the perspective. Uh, and I, I think it's like spot on for mm-hmm. me. Um, I think um, it, it almost feels like it requires that reflection um, and and that's kind of the thing you got from Carrie Scogland all the way through this mm-hmm. and I think as well um from Malcolm Spellman in terms of the lead writer and yeah. um, you really got a sense that they were trying to just reimagine what a hero is and where people would make that connection to it for ordinary people yeah. and um that that just that whole reflection of it i thought was really good yeah yeah i i found it interesting when they started talking about the mantle of captain america mm-hmm. and what it meant um and, and essentially that you can't just pass the shield what like it's beyond that is passing a mantle and it was like that's a way that i hadn't thought about because they do bring into the comic books and they're like yeah, yeah. It, it's a known quantity that someone can pick up uh like they can be a different Batman under the cowl. They can be a yeah. different Captain America, but in a grounded reality, what which they are making to a degree with outside of Thanos and <laughs> sorcery. Um, mm-hmm. In a grounded reality of the MCU, what they're trying the re- the realism. What does that mean? Like yeah. you can't. What does it mean to be the next Steve Rogers uh, or Captain America? And I thought they succeeded with that. They, in yeah. the, in the, yeah. this storytelling, they they did have us question and ask ourselves what it meant to carry that shield, yeah, and more importantly, what it meant for Sam Wilson. Absolutely, and this is what I do like about this type of documentary. Like you have, uh, I think it's Zoe uh, Nasselholt, um, the co-executive, the other co-executive producer, who mentions that in the comic books, you have Captain America dies, but he's going to be coming back in a few months' time, and maybe it'll be a different person called Captain America, and that's a really normal thing to do in publishing comic books, but it just wouldn't work on TV to have, or in the movies, it wouldn't work to just instantly have a new Captain America, because in comic books, it's the title that sells, and people follow the storyline effectively, whereas here they're saying, you know, you really need to deliver a good storyline to to get people onto this concept of having a character at passing the mantle to somebody else um in comic yeah. books they've had they've gone back i think it's uh, i think it's a thousand years they have uh old versions of characters like uh, iron fist that's been around for centuries they have uh, all of these major characters that now are all titles that have been passed down through centuries effectively um whereas you can't really do that without some, some big explanation in in, uh, in movies and TV shows so i liked when they connected it to the to the comic books and showed what they had to do to transfer that to a to the cinematic universe yeah it's it's that realistic element of chain of succession you know how how does it get there who effectively anoints like you have with john walker you know he was anointed by the us military yeah. whereas effectively the 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 ground up um the you know, popular choice as such in inverted commas. Yeah. Um, the person that really deserves it is someone 
that hasn't been anointed mm-hmm. in in the form of um, Sam Wilson. Right. So it, it is. It's a really interesting way to look at that succession. And I, I, th- I think um, you know, I think comics have looked at that possibly in the the more recent mm-hmm. past, yeah. but certainly you know this idea that you would just have you know the the next. Yeah. Captain America, it's the title rather than the person behind it. And I think increasingly we're looking at the people behind the mask mm. as such. And yeah. it is interesting. We've had the six-episode series, which obviously we've all watched and it's been very successful. But technically speaking, if you were just a person that watched the movies, you saw Endgame and Sam Wilson walked away with the shield. The next movie that Sam Wilson's in, he's going to be this Captain America. And as an audience member, you're probably not going to question it too much now. Um, no. Even if you haven't watched this show, you had that moment where Steve handed over the shield We've now seen the uh, the struggle that it took to, for Sam to pick up that shield and become Captain America, but now they can drop him in a movie without having any of that explanation. It's all been taken care of now with this show. But an audience will accept that he just got the shield and became Captain America if they haven't seen the TV show. <laughs> so I think that's quite an interesting little uh, thing that they've done with this one. Yeah. I, I think, look, we're going to be facing these questions. I think they are right to question it now because mm-hmm. you have this with the upcoming Next Generation. Yeah. So this, I think this very much phase is going to be about phasing out, not phasing out, but uh, the, the, the passing of the torch, the mantle. So we're going to get a new Hulk in the She-Hulk. We're going to get some form of new Iron Man or woman in the f- case of Ironheart and the Armor Wars. Yep. We're going to get a new Hawkeye. Like, there will be a new Black Widow. Like, mm-hmm. this is all about passing the mantle so that... They can continue these code names and legacies and people, but for the audience. Because, exactly. no offense, Chris Evans in another 20 years cannot be Captain America. Yes, Robert Downey Jr. in 10 years from now cannot be <laughs> Iron Man. Now, they like, and the reason I say this is I think there was a billboard put up for Iron Man, bring back Robert Downey Jr. on his birthday. A billboard said, bring back Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, as Tony Stark. Right. And you're like, but no, that's. Yes, it's comic books, but at the same time, let's see what's next. Let's move this franchise forward. Uh, and I think that's very much what this was centered on. And that's where the making of even kind of jumps into it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I can't see Robert Downey Jr. coming back at all. No. Uh, I, I, I've just, I, I know this is a complete aside, but I always find it really interesting that Iron Man 3 was the last movie that Robert Downey Jr. starred as Iron Man. Everything else has been him guesting in other movies right so they haven't actually made an iron man movie for how long is it now probably uh almost 10 years right yeah eight or nine years um he's been a guest star in all the other movies and he's the main star of course but they're not iron man named movies i think that's fascinating (laughs) considering he's such a big star of the entire series he's probably (laughs) the main star of the series but he didn't get out iron man 4 (laughs) the next one will be very much armor wars the tv show which we, it's not even confirmed he's coming back for. John Sheedle is the main star. Yeah. yeah. And the after that, there's Ironheart, where there is an actress already been chosen for Riri Williams. Mm-hmm. And more than likely, there'll be some form of Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr. in that, where he'll get a bucket load of cash for his face turning up for two to three minutes uh, in each of those. And right. that's it. So he's been, Yeah. But anyway, let's go back to, away from Iron Man, which is, 
my favourite, back to your favourite, which is Captain America. And let's talk about Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just a couple of other things about the writing, really, that, that struck me in, in this uh, in these discussions. A lot, of, a lot of it was, you know, people just talking about being cast and, and uh, working on the project. But I think the stuff you don't get normally just by watching the show is these discussions about the writing and how they came up with the concepts and stuff. I did like the other element of it where they were talking about this was the search for identity for the two major characters. That's why the two of these characters were in here. That Sam story was about looking to the future, seeing his future, deciding what his identity was going to be now that he's no longer Falcon to the Captain America. What's his choice going to be? And then the other side of it, why Bucky's involved here is that Bucky's looking about his past and how he can escape from that and become something else for the future i thought that was a really good insight yeah that that was really good um i i thought malcolm spellman was fascinating um just like how he thought things through i mean even just like the the sort of jump off point for the whole series being the one line from anthony mackie or sam wilson in endgame about Mm -hmm. you know this shield feels like someone else's and that ultimately was where this all began this idea that this was still steve rogers it Mm -hmm. didn't it didn't belong to sam wilson there was a lot of stuff around um the shield which you know progresses as we move through the series with um the 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 whole um story arcs with isaiah bradley and you know the complicated nature of what steve rogers was doing in handing that shield to to sam wilson so um i thought that was really fascinating and i think the other big thing was just where you know the um he says it's not a speech but the 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 conversation of um of Sam Wilson as Captain America with his new suit to the GRC members mm-hmm. after he's brought um, Carly's body and how um, Malcolm Spellman, he says that he, you know, he called up Anthony Mackie to go through, you know, line by line that mm-hmm. he was happy with what was being said and his input to what he would feel comfortable saying as a black man in the Captain America outfit. Yep. I thought that was massively um, interesting and yep. just fantastic kind of writer-actor collaboration mm-hmm. going on between these two. Um, I thought that was, yeah, I thought that was really good and really interesting because it is. It's such um, a significant piece of dialogue for yeah. this series. Um, and I, I like how Malcolm Spellman just really understood that yep. as he was writing it. And, uh, but understood the importance and implications for not only the character of Sam Wilson, but the actor yeah. that is Anthony Mackie. I thought it was really, so it was really interesting good. that it was echoed in what Anthony Mackie was saying in his interview, going, you know, I'm, I'm so happy that Marvel haven't trusted me to become the next Captain America. They could have chosen somebody else. They're going to get backlash for it. And he was almost echoing exactly what the character of Sam Wilson is saying. So you can tell he had some collaboration on yeah. that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to call out this point. My God, I want to have a drink with Malcolm Spellman. Man, <laughs> yeah. just, he just oozes cool. And you know, he yeah. has a story for everything. Like he oh, worked yeah. on Empire for what, like 15 episodes or more. So he's in that room. Like, you know, you know, he has just these amazing, cool stories of mm-hmm. LA life. And you're just like, yeah, I want, I want to talk <laughs> to you. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that's one of the things. And let's kind of talk about this other bit that we hadn't 
uh, that we kind of complained about when we were talking about WandaVision, that they never talked about the real world creation of the show when the pandemic was going on. And just to your point about Malcolm Spelton being a really interesting person to hang around with, you mentioned earlier on, Carrie Scoglin, the director of the show, also seems really interesting. And she kind of explains that they they really had to bond differently as a team working on this show because of having to work in the pandemic and all being completely, um, I suppose, credited together to film this uh, yep. this show when the pandemic was going on. They actually traveled when everywhere was in lockdown and had to convince a government to allow them come over from a country that had a massive uh, amount of COVID cases to allow them to leave America, come over to their country, bringing with them hundreds of people that yeah. could possibly bring an infestation of a pandemic to their country. Well, um, so, and they kind of said everybody was on board and working together and they've created this unit. And everybody always says on these kind of documentaries that we had a family, but you can kind of see it because you know how much the pandemic has pushed people closer together. who have had to stay together. And if it really feels different this time. Well, that's you know? it. I mean, they were describing it and I, it, it felt like the production team was about to go through kind of the, you know, the, the Moses Egyptian plagues that would hit their families because I was like, you know, I was waiting for them to say that it rained frogs, uh, you know, and, and all this or all the livestock died or something mm. like that. Because not only was there a, you know, a pandemic with this disease, but then they had a whole earthquake situation because they were going to originally shoot a lot of the scenes in Puerto Rico, yeah. not in Prague, uh, towards the end. Of, so, like, yeah, th- this felt like it was getting all the plagues um, that were going to happen <laughs> from biblical times. So, th- yeah. Th- yeah, I mean, they had to deal with a lot. And It's like not only was there one earthquake and we, we went, oh, we'll go ahead. <laughs> then there was a second earthquake yeah. <laughs> and we had to pull everybody out of Puerto Rico and they had to cut that whole storyline from the show. And all um, the work in yeah. terms of scouting and getting locations yeah. and I guess organizing for you know an entire production crew to go to puerto rico um that all that work had to suddenly very rapidly shift to to prague Mm -hmm. so yeah really that was fascinating speaking of that point so that was one of the points i want to talk about which was puerto rico and prague and that that whole piece because for me i'm so interested because they talked about how writer the writers in the writer's room tweaked the storyline yeah for this based on the pandemic based on what they could and couldn't film so i'm just not saying that what we got wasn't great i'm just so curious to know what that other storyline was like what was was in puerto rico uh, as a storyline and what it's you know that it's not that i'm not i'm not happy with what i got it's the i'm curious about what we will never get you know that I mean? It's a morbid yeah. curiosity of what never will come. It really is, but it, it's weird because the whole Riga Latvia element of it, given Baron Zemo, mm-hmm. felt natural. That actually felt right. Yeah. And I was wondering what the Puerto Rico side of it would be. Um, you know, uh, because. That just Hmm. felt natural that they would be in Eastern Europe, in the Baltics. Mm. Um, And I was trying to think, as you say, what were they trying to... I mean, I guess it doesn't matter where Baron Zemo went. I mean, they went to Madripoor, but it it felt like a nice little sort of close association, the fact that Sokovia is in in Europe. uh, And it, it, it kind of felt just like 
a natural part of what you would write. So, uh, yeah, what what they were going for in Puerto Rico would be interesting as well. Yeah, because um, I was trying to break, pick up the breadcrumbs from what they were saying, and and um, the executive producer was saying that some of the scenes they filmed in Atlanta needed to match with Puerto Rico, yeah. and then suddenly they needed to match them with Germany, and needed to match them with uh, with Prague, and needed to match them with the locations that they were going to be filming out. I'm kind of going. What did you film in, in Atlanta that was like Puerto Rico? What was it? What, what, yeah. Who was going there? Because the whole thing about the show, and we mentioned it on our coverage, is that it's like James Bond. It's traveling to many countries and many places in the world and trying to make the show feel much bigger than it is by going to different locations. So adding in Puerto Rico, which would be a very different type of place than the Eastern Bloc in Europe, you know, um, would have added an extra layer yeah. uh, of, of something to make it seem much bigger again, seem much more but, like James Bond. And then, but the but, fact they didn't is really interesting. Yeah, but then this is the wonderful world of um, SFX and production design. Like I've found um, the whole uh, creation of Madripoor really interesting. And, and oh, yes. um, yeah. hearing Carrie Scogland and the production designer Raymond Chan uh, were, you know, they were really struggling about where they were going to locate. And they were having a chat in Atlanta, in one of the suburbs or, you know, outer suburbs of, of Atlanta in Georgia. And they just looked down this alleyway and, you know, with a bit of dressing of this alleyway and obviously then with the SFX being pulled in uh, for the backdrop, uh, they, they created a bit of um, Southeast Asia and Madripoor down this alley street in in um, a suburb of Atlanta in Georgia. Yeah. And it was just like really just incredible seeing um Raymond Chan, just this one location where you have the street and the, and then they cut to the, you know, the final uh, shot that they used in the series. And you're like going, you know, these people have so much imagination yeah. to be yeah. able to look at something and understand how they could dress it um, to make it feel authentic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, it's so good. Um. I think the missing... We're going to get back to Madripoor, but I think the missing storyline is refugee camps. Yeah, I, I, I do. I think that's yeah. what it was. I think yeah. there was maybe it was too close to home um, based on what some things that were happening. Um, but just because of what that end um, speech talked about the camps, the also the camps were brought up by the GRC and stuff mm-hmm. like that. My gut tells me there was something... Like, there was a, a refugee camp of people trying to get back into the United States in Puerto Rico. And that was what that storyline was going to be. Potentially, yeah. Potentially, yeah. Anyway. I can notice in the feedback we talked about from from our awesome fellow defenders was pointing out that there was a storyline about uh, a a virus that was hitting the refugees, which had been cut from the from the show. So, uh, so yeah, the refugees probably would have played a bigger role. We did see, obviously, where Carly and, and her team of Flag Smashers, where they all lived, which was effectively a refugee camp where uh, everybody had been pushed there and there was a school for the kids and all that kind of stuff. We did see that as the example, but you probably would have seen more of that. And, yeah, that's probably right that that yeah. would have been uh, in Puerto Rico. Yeah. I think, interestingly for me, I, I kind of agree with, with you, Chris, that it, it's around the refugees, but actually... By having or being forced to move it to Europe, um, it felt like they were also undermining a trope of where a refugee yes. situation would be, in, in a sense, that it was, you know, it was in the middle of a very wealthy part of the world mm. in, in Europe, um, and that 
the blip happened there as well and there were those issues yep. there as well rather than you know kind of you know central latin america or wherever mm. that that's yeah. where the refugee problem is so it felt like it helped to undermine a trope but i mean that's if it is that but that that's that i that i was thinking along those kind of same lines as well agree so back to Madripoor. yeah and the sfx because there's the set dressing and all this is amazing from a location perspective this for me was just all inspiring like mm, yeah the 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 bit i found so even more interesting was when they were doing and filming some of the pieces they went oh no this runway does or this uh, highway does not look enough like germany so mm. we're going to have to completely redo our like uh, <laughs> and read film and then make it look like germany and i'm like no one else like that's a level of detail that no, like, <laughs> no one else would have got so like the bridge in he was talking about south africa and mm-hmm. he was like they had to blanket out some of the, the in sfx they had to blanket out some of the other kind of like sky rises to make it look like it's just it's like it's a level of like you feel do you feel sorry for the sfx guys and the visual effects guys at the end because yeah. they're like yeah no 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 we can do it and then you're thinking about every shot they had to go in and like pretty much hand paint away paint paintings and drawings and say oh no yeah we don't want that background now we want german landscape with some alps yeah. and some mountains oh and they have to be german trees they even oh yeah german trees <laughs> was yeah. Like, it does feel like the, from the footage that they had of that scene specifically the, the highway scene it looks like they had a complete they had they, they show you the original footage then they show you a completed version which doesn't look enough like germany which has changed completely again to look like Germany. It looks like someone worked for absolutely months and they got it in and went, no, can we change all the trees there and that stick in a mountain? Like it does look like yeah. somebody spent months working on that. And I, I was thinking when they were saying that and it was that aerial view of the road, mm. I thought, yeah, there's way too many road repair patches on that to be a journey. <laughs> <Yeah. journey." laughs> like that, that does kind of look like what what I remember some of those roads in in the US when we were going down to Carolina. Uh-huh. It was like, yeah, no, it's it, it's definitely not Germany with those potholes and uh, and, and <laughs> those repair patches. Yeah, yeah what, what I suppose one other thing on the production design for um for Madripoor, I really liked Raymond Chan as, as you kind of mentioned about the. Uh, railway line that's there but I love that that was in the back of his mind he was thinking of how horrible it must be to live directly across the road from a railway station where everything's going through and in the back of his mind he's like going that sounds like something we should put into Madripoor (laughs) he's such a really creative guy and he's such a really interesting guy when he talks about it I'd love to have had a full episode about his production design and what he came up with for the show he talks about the bar and getting uh, ordering three monkey heads off the internet then getting hundreds of skulls skulls sorry skulls not heads that's right Um, even um, so, I didn't think they were things you would necessarily be able to buy online. But hey, there and, we go. But then getting hundreds of them three D printed to make this uh, this thing in in uh, in the bar, uh, this reference to uh, to to a bar from the comic books, you know. So uh, I thought that was really interesting. But again, it's just the detail and depth that's going on in the show. I thought it was really good to to have the production designer there talking about it. Agreed. Um, and then. One bit I did want to touch on, it's not actually in our notes, but it's one piece, like the, the costume designs mm-hmm. that they did go into this to a, a level um, that I did not yeah. think about before. Like they, and surprisingly, Andrew Park, who is, who leads the concept art uh, for um, Marvel Studios, 
he like if you don't follow him on Twitter or Instagram, do. Mm-hmm. He's absolutely amazing. And following um the the shows, he'll post on Instagram and Twitter the the actual concept art for these characters, mm-hmm. and they actually call it out in this, like the concept art that he drew for Baron Zemo mm-hmm. back in the day for civil for Civil War was what they used to pull the for the costume design in this. Yeah. Which is amazing. Um and then it's, they got into like the Captain America suit. Mm-hmm. And then it's interesting to see that they have to I found it hilarious. We talked about how the cowl was weird. Um, yeah. in that last episode. We did say kind of we were like, yeah it looked great but then they're bulky and stuff. They smoothed it down in SFX, in post-production. Mm-hmm. They had to get rid of the... Because the way that the, the cowl, his head turned, the fabric would bulge out. So when we were watching the speech, the first time they started showing the speech, mm-hmm. they showed... It, it was obviously pre-post-production. So they had the bump. And I was like, did it always look that bad? Because it straight away caught my eye. This big, yeah. massive bulb on bulge on his neck and then they showed it at the end of what they had done i'm like holy moly like i'm telling you if i was in that meeting um that would be me handing in my notice on on doing the special effects for this show yeah (laughs) where it's like we've decided that what we're going to do is make the mask this way because it looks really cool on paper um can you just fix that in post yeah (laughs) (laughs) because what's the the production designer says there's no material like that in the world that would always cling to someone's face like that it would just it's basically like cling film wrapped around them um so we just got the guys in a special effects to go and go over every single moment of that what 12 minute speech that Anthony Mackie's doing and fix the mask every time he turns his head like that is unbelievable the amount of special effects work we have that is one of the things to talk about but the amount of special effects work that is in this show that you would not see that you that you can't see there's a point where there's so much stuff being rubbed out in the background and replaced and everything going on in the foreground uh, being replaced and the characters' faces being put on other people's faces, where you're going, why did they just animate this show? Yeah, oh, that, yeah, that's it. I mean, the like the level of SFX is incredible. Like with the uh, the 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 neck and the the headpiece of mm-hmm. of the new Captain America suit, and the fact that we just mentioned, you know, yeah, do the German landscape behind uh, the the the. The, the trucks, yep. but also even just the, the, the fighting on the trucks. And, and you saw how they did Anthony Mackie sort of doing the wire work and then fitting it into that truck scene with so mm-hmm. many yeah. moving parts, as well as the helicopter scene. Uh, the, the thing with the helicopter scene was I really liked the fact that they did chuck a load of people out of a plane for an entire in, day with in the wing squirrels suits. in, in their wingsuits. Wing yeah. <laughs> We just have uh, to, to be careful. To get all that footage. <laughs> from that first episode. Yeah, from yeah. that first episode. Yeah. Um, well, it, and it, it and they managed it, to use some of it, at least. Well, it was even the line that, that these were real um, these were real wingsuit um, uh, experts. And so the footage of, the, of them is real, is real things they can do. So maybe yeah. it wasn't the exact footage of them, but it's things that they do. They go canyoning in wingsuits, which is quite phenomenal scary and well, scary yeah. as heck. <laughs> is there anything else about the about the making of documentary you guys want to talk about, Chris? Yeah, one drop line. 
um, that the the canyon scene from the first episode was always going to be in it, but it moved around in the story. I was like, what? Like, how does that work? <laughs> it's like, how do you move this fantastic... And again, I, I, I suppose we now know why it opened, but it was just this, that they moved, they were like, we really want to do this. Let's move around in the story until we get it. And I'm mm. like, but where... It boggled my mind. Again, it was just like, where else would it have fit? Like, that storyline was just like, I was like, no, that just didn't make sense to me. But anyway, I found, I found it interesting. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they were saying that they had the, um, they had the idea for that massive action scene for eight or nine months just working it out. And then they, yeah. then they said, we're going to open the show with that. Yeah. Uh, but they could have had, I suppose he's chasing down Batrock. You could have had that later in the season as the chase down of Batrock, but you would, of course, have to change some of the lines on it, of course. Yeah. 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 Anything else from you, John, that you want to talk about? No, I, I just, the only other thing to add really from my side was just, you know, I, I, I like the way they, they went through the characters. You know, there's a real good bit here, uh, with, um, Daniel Bruhl and um, just, and, you know, again, how they, they wanted to keep that complexity of the character. Um, and I guess that kind of chameleon like quality of him and, and the idea that, you know, his basis in civil war was one that actually people could understand mm-hmm. and, and, and maintain that. So I, I thought that was really good, but yeah. it's also just that, you know, they, they, they kind of, they, they take, um, Sharon Carter. They've got the Countessa in there as well, uh, as well as doing the, you know, the main beats with, with, with Sam Wilson and with Bucky Barnes. Yeah. So, uh, that is another nice little element, uh, that kind of is in the first half of this, uh, episode. I as was well. sure when you said you wanted to talk about Daniel Brill, you were going to talk about his, uh, his Seuss Covia commercial. <laughs> well, so yeah. Where is true. that? Yeah. Which is hilarious. Where is that? Oh, it's just a joke they did on set to show off the costume, uh, which I I hope so. But I really want to see that now in like actual with like kind of fake star graphics, you know, that kind of like come to Sukovia. We have your suits for $9.99. I I want the Baron Zemo pajamas. Uh, Yeah, that would be pretty cool. (laughs) Um, Excellent. One final bit for me is just that they did touch on the race aspect of this as a storyline. And I think while. While they, I, I was happy they touched on it. I didn't feel they gave it enough, enough of a spotlight. I think it, it felt like it was like about seven minutes of the overall hour. And I think I personally would have liked to have seen more on that. And again, this is what we talked about earlier. I talked about where they may not have known. It was going, they, well, there's no way they could know the future. If they knew the future, it would be amazing. Um, but essentially, when they were writing this and they were filming this, the, the BLM and things like that had happened. We see Anthony yeah. Mackie talk about the protests and things like that. They just probably didn't know as far down the line uh, as when this was airing, how impactful it would be in the current climate of politics around the world in the US, etc. Hmm. I would have liked to seen maybe a pickup or two from Anthony Mackie, from uh, the the writer, from Carrie, from Sebastian Stan, from the the actor who played Desire Bradley, um, you could have done a pickup there where they could talk about because in interviews currently when they have been doing press for this, they've talked about the additional aspects of yeah. what it meant. 
And I'm like, no, I, I would have liked to see... Because Andy Mackey got emotional talking about this on set. Where you could see him talk, start talking about when he talked about Breonna Taylor and things like that. Yeah. So that was, for me, the only bit. I was like, I would have liked to see another five minutes of just them posthumously looking at <laughs> this uh, as a piece. Yeah. Uh, anyway. But I, but I think that's overall the challenge with these with these Marvel documentaries for the making of the shows is that, as you say, they're filmed at the time on set after they've read the script. There's no idea of how this will hit. Like if the show fails, if it comes out and nobody watches it and there's no cultural impact, you still get the same documentary as you do if it comes out and does great guns and is massively impactful to the culture. You get exactly the same documentary. So there's no looking back on it, um, which is, which is a shame because a lot of, a lot of documentaries that we all enjoy watching are things like, here's the last 10 years of Marvel movies. Here's out the impact on the world. Here's us looking back on the time when we did this, whereas they have no distance from what they've actually filmed and what they've actually uh, written to be able to, to give it that extra context. But I think overall though, Chris, I think you're right for every part of this, there's another story to tell for everybody if we had an episode per episode of the series or an episode based in uh, production design and costume design. And uh, music is one that I thought thought was a real missed. shame they missed yeah. out. There was no mention of that at all. There was a whole section in one division about the music for that show. But we got nothing here about the music for this show, which I thought was a bit of a letdown. I'd love to have had some uh, discussion on the music for, for this show. Yeah, no, and we got instead the the stunt, the action. We got that discussion point where we, we they talked about the previs and the running of the different, the choreography for the fights and things like that instead. So I suppose, yeah, this is this is the, it's always going to be the give and take, the push and pull of this documentary for every MCU show that we cover. It's going to be it's not, it's not an episode per episode breakdown, yeah. uh, and it's not a deep dive. It's an hour long. So it's that hour versus six hours documentary. Yeah, That's and the they hours. and they have to guess at what's going to hit. Like as we mentioned about the One Division documentary, where they didn't really have anything on Agatha all along, which became this massive hit, uh, where they didn't talk about it at all. Really, they just had a little moment. But uh, they the had the music. Yeah, yeah, but they had a little moment of the documentary rather than what you would expect going if after the fact you'd be going look at the cultural impact of the song and talking yes. about it in real detail. Yeah, they don't in in the same way, Chris. They do have the discussion about racism in this show because they knew exactly what they were making. They knew the point of view they were coming from, but they don't talk about the actual impact and how that landed with the audience yeah. because they, they filmed this five months ago. So yes, exactly. um, w- one other thing I just wanted to talk about really quickly was just uh, Julie Louis-Dreyfus. <laughs> I absolutely loved her reaction to why she took the role um, because basically it was, I read the name, they had me um, for, for the <laughs> yeah, Contessa, um, which I thought was hilarious. I loved that she was so up for it and really loved the idea of playing this completely duplicitous character that you, d- you she didn't even know, is this person good or bad? Uh, I love that idea that she, that's why she jumped on board. I thought that was a, a fun little moment. She does call herself the uh, alternative Nick Fury. Yes, she yes, does. She yeah. did. Yeah. So that is interesting. But that's she what is I forming. Said, Chris. I know she is forming <laughs> her own Avengers. Yeah, exactly. This is and like that's confirmed now, gents. That's Basically, that's it. Yes. Basically, that <laughs> it is sounds true. like it. Definitely, it's, yeah. it does sound. So when we see her in, if rumors are true and she is in Black Widow, mm-hmm. that will be it. That that will be the deciding factor if she. Yeah. Basically, as a post credit, she is there getting Scarlett Johansson's or uh, Natasha Romanoff's sister as a different Black Widow. Mm-hmm. That is it. Then, then we are getting the alternative, the Dark Avengers. 
Or, uh, yeah, the, uh, let's call it the new Avengers. Uh, new. All new, all new, all spectacular. Exactly. I, I would love if they literally just filmed the, the scene almost exactly the same way as Samuel L. Jackson talking to, uh, to Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> yeah. and it's just... Julie Louis Dreyfus in there. That'd be great fun. Uh, guys, I think that's it overall for the discussion about the making of documentary. Um, yes. John, do you defend the making of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Yeah, I mean, I do defend uh, the uh, making of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you know, uh, the assemble. I think it's it, it's a nice little insight in the, um, I, I think, uh, you know, it would always be around uh, a three uh, for me because I think they could do it better Mm -hmm. um but i think it's just the way it's made and produced and okay that's fine but there's some really good stuff in here around production and sfx and the characters and of course uh the writing um yeah it's a shame they didn't have stuff on the music just i guess because we we lent into that quite a lot on the podcast so um and it it was the you know within the one division because they had the different types of themes yeah um but still you know that that change in that iconic Captain America tune uh, with both John Walker and with um, Sam Wilson yeah. taking on that mantle in effect um, and the cha- the subtle changes to that theme. It would have been interesting to, to get that discussion as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. How about yourself, Chris? Do you defend uh, the making of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier? I, I'm very much like John. Um, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a hot meh. It was, it was good. Yeah. Uh, yes, I am calling my co-host a hot meh. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> Sorry, I just no. gave it three. I didn't even give it. What was it? Be, I guess it would be three um, SFX overload out of five. Okay. Yeah, it's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, <laughs> replacement yeah, it, German it, trees. No. <laughs> oh, yeah, three replacement German trees um, out of five. There we go. Much better. <laughs> that is much better. Yeah, uh, yeah it, it, it's an interesting watch if you have a spare hour like stick it on if you if you like it's not you do not need to watch this now this is not a mind-blowing like secret uncovering documentary where you will come out better for it it's just an interesting watch where you will learn a bit more uh there is some nuggets in there that's about it um so yeah it's a it's a it's a hard good (laughs) <laughs> it's fine it's fine yeah absolutely I'd, I'd be the same as you guys you know that it's a dvd extra put on disney plus uh effectively i always watch these when we get when we get dvds i'll watch them and then probably never watch them a second time um unless they're massively interesting like the lord of the rings documentary uh which i've watched multiple times because it feels like a documentary on how they uh built this entire universe i hope marvel at some stage in the future will combine all of this stuff together and have a big documentary on how marvel studios has pulled all of this stuff together it may not be show by show or movie by movie but i wish they went to re- really in depth because they clearly have people on set filming everything and taking photographs behind the scenes so uh, they probably have the footage uh, they just needed the right uh, documentary person to uh, to turn it into a real documentary about how how the uh, how the sausage is made and that the uh, that the term mm, yes. yes sausage right that's it for our discussion about the making of falcon the witch soldier we need to go on to the reason why our wonderful defenders are really here let's go on to the pub john yes fellow quizzes fellow defenders i hope you have got a, a tipple of your choice alcoholic or non-alcoholic whatever floats your boat um for the pub quiz answers and the prizes yes mm-hmm. um 
we got loads of entries in. Thank you so much for all the uh, answers. Mm-hmm. Flooding into feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Uh, great to get uh, your input. And of course, we have the three Funko Pops of Falcon, Winter Soldier, and Baron Zemo. Mm-hmm. Um, so, episode one, question one. First question. Including Batroc, how many flying squirrel parachutists jump out of the plane with their hostage Captain Vasant? The answer to that was five. Yes, five. Excellent. That's a really complicated question that you asked. It was. It's a quiz. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Chris, question two. Yes. For episode two, we asked, in what year did Isaiah Bradley and the Winter Soldier first meet? The answer, of course, was 1951. Yes, very good, very good. Uh, for episode three, the question was, what is the three or motto of the Global Repatriation Council? And the answer was, reset, restore, and rebuild. I really want to use that in real life. I'm going to find a way to use those three R's. <laughs> if somebody asks you how to, uh, how to fix their computer, you can go uh, reset, restore, and then rebuild. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. Like, I, it's the new turn it off and on again. And I yeah. guess if it was an equation, it would be reset plus restore plus rebuild equals Refugees. Oh, be given the GRC and what happened, yes, and, and the, the the series. But for um, episode four, we asked, "What is the final trigger word or phrase in the Winter Soldier's activation protocol?" Yes, and that answer was freight car. Yes, but we did give it to uh, our wonderful defenders who just said car because technically they are correct. The yes. last word is car. Yeah, that's true. But freight car is the phrase. Uh, we also had uh, one of our wonderful defenders who gave us the, the Russian uh, for freight car uh, in an answer. Dr. Excellent. Bob Can you say it? I cannot because I okay. haven't got it in front of me, uh, but I did notice that Dr. Bob Phillips uh, gave us the Russian for it. Uh, as ah, interesting. Uh, on screen. So very good. In Russia, we don't de- take the, the train. We take the freight car. That's not staying in the episode, Chris. Oh, no. <laughs> in Mother Russia, the train rides you. I'm sorry, your Australian accent is not staying in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> For episode five, we had the question, what is the name of Sarah's fishing trawler that Sam and Bucky are repairing? Of course, it was their parents' name. It was Paul and Darlene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the final question for episode six, it was, what was the main chemical component or ingredient in the chemical device used on a flag smasher by Sharon Carter in the car park basement of the GRC? Sounds a little bit like a Cluedo question, John. Uh, It was. (laughs) The answer for that is mercury vapour, amongst other things. Yes. Yes. And it is face meltingly good. Yes. It was a murder. It was a Cluedo question. It was. We have... Gone through all of the questions, all the answers received, and uh, we have got 11 entrants cor- with all the correct answers. Well done to everybody's entered, um, but there are 11 people in for the chance to win the uh, the Funko Pops of Falcon Witch Soldier Funko Pops. Chris, do you want to ask Google for a number between uh, 1 and 11? Sure. Hey, Google, randomly pick me a number between 1 and 11. Eight. Two fat ladies, eight. Well, in this case, one fat lady, eight. Thank you for that, Chris, uh, as our announcer on the uh, the electronic bingo call. Um, it is um, a big congratulations to Adrian Johnson, who got all the questions correct there and um, 
the three Funko Pops will be winging its way uh, to you. We will be in touch to get your um, mailing uh, details so that we can send those over. But it is a a big uh, congratulations to Adrian Johnson and a big thank you to everyone participating in the pub quiz. It has been a really good amount of... um, responses to to the questions Absolutely. and of course there can only be one uh, that gets the gold medal yeah even to those who didn't uh, guess that the the goodies there uh, we hope you enjoyed at least following along with the pub quiz i know uh, we had a lot of great feedback about the pub quiz uh, as a bit of fun uh, listening along so thanks so much to everybody's entered yes gentlemen it's about time we move on to our feedback section but before we do I just want to do a quick shout out to all our Patreons. Yes, we obviously do have a Patreon because this is a hobby for us. We have day jobs and we'd love to keep the lights running. And our illustrious editor-in-chief, our producer, in caffeine, as he does do a fair few early morning edits and late night edits. So your support for even just a dollar bill or a euro or a pound or a crone is amazing. Yes, anything you can support us with is fantastic. So head on over to patreon.com slash TV Podcast Industries where you will get our illustrious and heartfelt thanks. Yes, thanks so much to everybody who's been supporting us on Patreon. And uh, those of you who have bought me a coffee over on buymeacoffee.com slash TVPI. Uh, very nice of you. Thanks so much. Let's get into our feedback section. And once again, we start off with our all-new correction corner. Uh, Steve Brown got in contact with us to point out that the news report in the last episode said the explosion killed four flag smashers, meaning there are actually no more flag smashers out there. All eight of them have been accounted for in the series. Uh, we had thought that the um, smasher pilot that went into the Hudson uh, wasn't with uh, the other flag smashers in that scene it's actually on screen there's only three of them in the back of the van but the news report afterwards confirms four dead so all eight of the flag smashers are gone so while it wasn't on screen and uh, not filmed um they cleared it up in dialogue effectively thank you for that if it haven't been on screen it because we saw three in there and they say four could have been the guard body they i i think they if it if you do not see someone die on screen there's a potential that they can come back. Also, <laughs> comics. Everyone can come back from the dead. Absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, but thanks so much for pointing that out. That's why we have Correction Corner. Thanks yeah. so much for that, Steve. Thank you very much, Steve. We also, in, in uh, her entry for the pub quiz uh, chloe got in contact with us saying um just a comment on our last podcast saying i thought that was interesting what you said about sharon being a scroll so does that mean mephisto could be a scroll I think that was our confusion, Chloe. I think we may have uh, may have confused you in what we were saying about, about uh, Sharon being a scroll and our joke that Mephisto could be somewhere in the MCU already in hiding. Uh, so sorry about the confusion. Yes, sorry about that. But no, Mephisto is demon, scroll is alien. And scrolls are the only ones we've actually seen on screen because we saw them in Captain Marvel. So, so far. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Our next email comes in from 084. 084 says, Hey guys, just wanted to drop in and say how much I've enjoyed the first and maybe only season of this show. It's a genius stretch of character development in my mind. If you decide only to watch the movies, you see Steve give Sam the shield and then years later comes Captain America 4 and Sam in a cool new suit. And if you're like us and want to see Sam struggle to accept that mantle and everything that it meant, here it is. It's a terrific way to make these Disney Plus shows connect enough to make sense and go deeper into character, but almost be a detachable part of the MCU, which is a terribly hard task for Marvel Studios. There's much more I want to say, but if I only had to pick one more thing, it's to make a case for the character work of Carly and the Flag Smashers. 
dibs on the band name. (laughs) These people had been victims of extreme nationalism their entire lives up until the snap, and just when it seemed like they were finally accepted when these nations needed them, everybody blipped back and suddenly those shrinking fences shot back up even taller than before. And while Carly is a product of this deeply flawed system of nationalism, in comes John Walker, who is a shameless personification of it. It's not really a stretch to see how one is more sympathetic antagonist than the other. And this was all laid out pretty clearly by Sam in episode 4. So people complaining about her hands not being held enough don't really have an argument. I think this show, more than any, has shown me that sometimes if you don't care about a plot line, it's not always the show's fault. Can't wait for the follow-up movie and for Modoc and Loki coming out soon. Until next time, 084. Wow. Thank you, 084. That is, um, oof. I did not think about it like that. And like, yeah. I, I, I sometimes try and pride myself on going deep on these shows. And I did not think about that element of it. Interesting. Thanks so much, 084. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm the same. I think it is a really, um, great kind of summation of, uh, Carly and the Flag Smashers and, and John Walker mm-hmm. uh, and what that whole arc, uh, over the six episodes, uh, is. And I, I think, um, as you say, um, there is always an audience involved. This is, uh, in that sense, it very interactive. And, um, if you don't want to look into that plot line, um, then yeah, it's not always the show's fault. It's a really interesting, uh, point of view to come from. Uh, and I, I'm one that I definitely agree with. Yeah. Um, and yes, Loki and Modoc can't wait. Yes, coming, coming very soon. Um, <laughs> We also got some email from Jerry who went, Hey guys, the behind the scenes special sheds a lot on how COVID affected the production of the show. The attention to detail in the script about the discussion of race and the history of the struggle of black Americans. It saddens me to see comments made by comics gate people and ignorant Americans that say Captain America cannot be a person of color. I'm excited to see what Anthony Mackie will do with this character. Mm-hmm. In this special, Anthony Mackie realizes the responsibility of playing this character and what it means to other people of color to see this. Also, Daniel Brühl's Zemo Sukovia commercial is priceless. <laughs> Can't wait for Loki, Jerry and Niceville. Thanks for that, Jerry. And yeah, uh, I think that's one of the things that has uh, definitely come up a lot uh, mm-hmm. throughout this show. Um but additionally, beyond that, I would also say Anthony Mackie, the, the discussion he has about the pride that his kids will have in being able to see a person of colour be Captain America, that their father is Captain America, is going to be fantastic. He really does now exemplify what it means to be Captain America or a Captain America. Um, and I'm, I'm so happy to see where he and what he does with this character. Yeah, it's really interesting that as well, um, Jerry, and totally agree with you. I, I thought not only about, you know, his children seeing, you know, their father playing this role, but there was a real nice moment where Anthony Mackie says about Marvel and trusting him with Captain America. Yeah. But, you know, and I think he made a really fair point from his own personal perspective about and the hard work that I've done for them to realize that they can do that. You know, like, let's not forget, he's put in the hard work, as he said in the show. Yeah. Um, and he, he's just done so well, uh, to, to bring, um, that 
transitional Falcon, this relationship with Steve Rogers, but also now coming into um this this series on his own, um personally Francis Mackey. And I thought that was a real nice point that he made um in, in his interview. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The scene where um Uncle Sam's kid nephews are touching the shield yeah. is one of the most poignant moments in the MCU. Yeah. Just exactly. seeing that nephew touch the the shield outline the star with his finger and then look up at Uncle Sam. Yeah. Just oh so chef's good. kiss. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. Yeah. So good. Thanks so much, Jerry. Over on our Facebook group we also got some uh, more feedback. Uh, Deanna Maskell says Thinking about Falcon and the Winter Soldier as Sam's journey from the moment Steve gave him the shield until his full acceptance of it has helped me resolve my dissatisfaction with the final title card, including Winter Soldier, when Bucky is so clearly not that anymore. Mm-hmm. Watching Assembled and listening to them talk about Sam's journey makes me so eager to see where they take Bucky's journey to his new identity. Gotta love the Marvel long game. Mm-hmm. Also, I absolutely love that the Dora Milaje stay in contact off screen. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was really funny, wasn't it, where, uh, where the actress who, who plays uh, Oya was saying um, that they've kept in contact from the time they filmed Black Panther. They're always in contact with each other. They have their own WhatsApp yeah. group, effectively. It's to re- really, really so, cool. Uh, so they see each other all the time. That was really funny. Yeah, really cool. And and for me, yeah, I'm eager to see where they take Bucky as well. And yeah. I really hope it's in the White Wolf direction. Well, I like the idea that they didn't just stone with that title in no. the show and they had a reason for the Dora to go look you know you kept back the person who killed our king so maybe you want to stay clear of us for a while and maybe you want to earn that title that we gave you when you were there you know yeah uh, I kind of kind of think that makes sense in the show so and I thought it was interesting in the documentary when Sebastian Stan was basically saying that this is the story of Sam Wilson and he's there because he has a connected story with him but he was very clear that this is about Sam Wilson uh, in the show and his story is the secondary story of the show. Yeah. Uh, I thought yeah. that was quite interesting that Sebastian Stan thought that as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we also got some more feedback from Brandy Anderson uh, last week, just after we'd recorded our finale episode. I know we covered actually a lot of the, the points that she'd mentioned on her feedback. So there's just a bit of feedback she had on Isaiah Bradley uh, from the episode that I wanted to, that I wanted to share. Um, she says, Isaiah Bradley, this storyline was beautiful and it would have been more than enough if they'd just shown him looking on during Sam's speech, but to have another moment in his backyard with Sam, this time letting Sam know he had what it takes to make a difference, just total icing on the cake. But then to go to the museum and see not only Isaiah memorialized, but also those that he served with. And I don't know if anyone else paused to read it, but it tells the whole background story about the black soldiers being experimented on and how most of them didn't survive the first round. It tells about the POW camp, the decision to blow it, to hide the evidence, and Isaiah going to rescue his men and other soldiers who were captured. And then it goes on to tell about his incarceration and more experiments done on him and how his family was led to believe that he was dead but I didn't see anything that mentioned Isaiah was currently still alive. Sam giving this not only to Isaiah, but to his fallen men, his family, the black community, and the entire world, all while respecting Isaiah wishes to remain dead. Total chef's kiss. I won't lie, I cried the first time I watched it. I cried the second time I watched it. I cried when I went back to read what was written about Isaiah Bradley, and I'm tearing up now just thinking about it. Also on Sharon Carter... Being the power broker, it was a bit anticlimactic in the series, and now I find myself listening to other people talk and wondering, who is she talking to at the end of the show? Could she not be the power broker? Could it be that she is the power broker, but there's someone else who is still pulling her strings? Could that someone else be Val, maybe? I've also heard someone say that it could be Nick Fury. Um, 
I don't feel that one as much. But now I'm going to be wondering, am I still looking for Mephisto in this show? (laughs) (laughs) Excellent stuff, Brandy. Excellent, Brandy. Yeah, Mephisto is always there as the (laughs) devil uh, in the Marvel Universe, helping all those baddies be even badder, (laughs) I guess. I think within the series, I think Sharon Carter, I kind of agree with you. But I think that, you know, the theory of her potentially being Skrull um, is really interesting. And the phone call, yes. Is it just buyers? Is it just, you know, that intermediary for her buyers? Or is it Val? Uh, is it Nick Fury? Um, yeah, it'd be really good to see. And I completely agree with you. The whole, um, that kind of um, passing of the torch by Sam in terms of the history, the acknowledgement mm-hmm. of... Um, black soldiers uh, and the the black history um to um the black community and his family um is, is just so poignant yeah. uh, really important and uh, at the same time yeah respecting Isaiah's wishes to remain i guess you know off grid and 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 dead uh, is just really really good yeah that was so good and i think having I, Isaiah's grandchild there as well with him reading it going through it that kind of, again that that generational aspect i thought yeah. was really important yeah and i think you're right brandy you know other shows would have absolutely just had that scene of him looking on on tv uh, on the speech and kind of smiling at the speech and that's kind of it but having that extra moment shows how important this is to sam and his character in the show and shows how important isaiah bradley is to the history of captain america effectively so uh, some really good points thanks so much for that brandy yes thank you so much brandy and i'm, I'm glad you feel comfortable enough to tell us that you were tearing up even just talking about it because um, I, I know how important this is, this show was to people. And I'm so glad that the, the, these stories can be told now and discussed and in the open. Um, so uh, thank you. We additionally got some feedback from Kelly Resendez who had this to say, so much to discuss this episode that I wanted to watch a second time before commenting, but couldn't wait. Even before the attack on the GRC, Sam flying into the New York skyline with that blue glow from his new wings got me excited. Loved the new Captain America suit from Sam. The colours, the wings, the resurrection of Red Wing. But I will admit, I was a little disappointed that there wasn't a nanotech suit like Black Panther or Iron Man. Loved the fight and aerial sequences here in the first 20 minutes. Glad we ended with that. There were plot holes, but I guess that could be expected with everything going on in the real world. Bucky finally making amends and seeing that weight seemingly lifted from his shoulders at the party was uplifting. Simo in the raft with the smirk on his face. It was the butler in the car with the detonator. <laughs> finally for now, can Sam Bucky finally say that they are friends and partners and not just co-workers? After that fight in New York, Bucky gives Cap a pat on the shield and at the party in Louisiana, Sam puts his hand on Bucky's shoulders as they walk away. So much more to talk about. Can't wait to listen to the podcast. Thank you so much, Kelly. And yeah, I think they are. There was a question. Uh, I remember seeing one of the interviews being done during the media, the the press junkets. Mm. Everyone was asking about what happened to the ice cream cake that Bucky brings in (laughs) at the end of the party. Yeah, And apparently... Uh, they did not let it go to waste. The child actors at the party 
devoured it. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> I did love that when, you know, everybody's got this massive cookout going on and he just went to a shop and bought, a, bought an ice cream cake to bring along. Yeah. I love that pointed out by one of our, our pieces of feedback last week. Uh, yeah, are they friends? Yes, they're friends. Possibly future brother-in-laws. Um, potentially. <laughs> <laughs> I want that storyline. Yeah, to me too. Really uh, there do. is there is already quite a lot of fanfic about Sarah and Bucky getting together. Um, I've seen it just on Twitter and threads where people are really looking for uh, Bucky and Sarah to get together. And Val and Nick Fury is the other uh, the other new one. Uh, wanting to see the uh, the replication of uh, of Contessa in the comic books and uh, and Nick Fury in the comic books being. A couple for many, many years. Interesting. Now seeing Julie Louis-Dreyfus and uh, and Samuel L. Jackson get together in a future movie. I think that'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that would be pretty magical. Thanks so much, Kelly, for your feedback. Thanks, everybody else, for your uh, feedback on the last episode and on the uh, the Assemble documentary. Uh, one final voicemail from Greg Schwamm, who sent uh, the voicemail in just after we'd recorded uh, our finale episode. But I know he had some thoughts about the final episode. Hey, guys. This is Greg. I mean, what can I say about this show? It had... The, the first emotional scene when you see Sam fly into the window with the, the, the suit and the shield and just, uh, just amazing action sequences. It had Carly, you know, possibly changing and maybe not. And then it had the vindication of John Walker, like, Hey, I'm going to actually save people and not, uh, you know, not just kill people with my shield uh, that ended up getting battered and bruised. Um, closure for Bucky. It was just so good. And then that final, like, don't get me wrong, like the, the mono, not monologuing, but the, the speech that Sam gave on TV, like, okay, great. But like the one that really got me was the, and I mean, I think it was intended, but just the emotional impact of, of taking Isaiah and the new statue. And like, I was, like just tears streaking down my face by the end of the show. And, and then that final splash of the, t- the, the, the next title card, right after the show, Captain America and the winter soldier, I was just like, Oh God, chills and more tears. And oh, it was so good. All right. Look forward to the podcast. Bye. Thanks so much, Greg. Uh, Greg also sent an addendum uh, to his voicemail to say, and I didn't even mention a traitor within the mist. The reveal of Sharon of the power broker was actually a little bit underwhelming, but the post credit scene where she's going to use her new position to betray the country absolutely killed me. Thanks, Greg. Uh, so good to hear your feedback, Greg. I know you seem to have enjoyed the show as much as we did. Yeah, thanks, Greg. Um, yeah. I think Sharon is interesting. As I said, I, I use my curry metaphor, um, on it. So, you uh, did last week, I do like the, um, the, the heat and the spice that they've introduced to this character. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think through this series, um, it was flagged pretty, um, pretty blatantly that she yeah. was, uh, the, the power broker. Yeah. I know in the documentary, um, Malcolm Spellman says that they didn't want to over egg the pudding. They didn't want to like reveal it too early. And there's a, a, you need to get that balance right. I think everybody's pretty clear that this reveal was a little underwhelming because we all knew it, but hoped it would be something else. I think was, was kind of what a lot of people have been saying. I'm absolutely fine with the reveal. I think there's more there. And I think the post credit scene tells you there's more there coming in the future, but I don't think anybody was shocked that that Sharon was the power broker as such. I think there was a, there was definitely, it was all there in the show, I think. Yeah, no, the, the egg was on the wall. It did to mix metaphors. Here. Oh, once again, <laughs> yes, because it's fun. Um, yeah, no, like I, I personally think that they kind of they overhyped and underdelivered. 
But okay. I think more <laughs> I, when I get into it and the more I have a retrospective view, I'm severely interested about where it's going to go. Uh-huh. So yeah. I think it's the possibilities that it it has. Yeah. I, I think is where, I just even from the documentary, I think that's where we're going to, that, that additional context was like, oh yeah, like they did really, like, they did really mess her up by mm. leaving her be. And like, like she had to go out on alone. So she's going to change. So the potential of where she will go now that at that end credit is going to be very interesting. Absolutely. I will just close with saying, Greg, you were exactly right. That title card change with a lot of people missed. We did. It's just fantastic. Sadly. You Chris, did. Chris caught it at me and me and yeah. Tom for some reason missed it on our watch through. I think we got to the end of the episode, uh, watched the post credit scene and just skipped back to the start and got excited about that uh, rather than noticing that. Really silly that we didn't notice that. Thanks so much once again to everybody for your feedback for the show. Speaking of possibilities for the future, I don't know whether you guys looked at your calendar for TV Podcast Industries, uh, but we have uh, in, our, in our diaries for next Saturday, we're recording a podcast about... Uh, uh, Black Widow, the movie, which was supposed to be coming out next Saturday, so we're not doing that. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, once again, Black Widow moved to later in the year. Uh, the next Marvel TV show that we'll be covering is Loki, another show speaking about possibilities, a time-traveling... Um, what would you say? Uh, I guess duplicitous character is, is how you, everybody describes Loki, someone that can't really trust what he's going to do. Is he going to mess with every timeline and change all of, all of the Marvel movies? Is he going to be... Uh, going on heists throughout throughout history, uh, building his power. Lots of things we don't know yeah. about Loki, but very excited to see what they do with the next uh, the next Marvel show after these two shows, WandaVision and Falcon and Witch Soldier. Very much so. I think it's going to be as cerebral as uh, WandaVision and as grounded with some kind of, because we know he goes to the 60s or the 70s with D.B. Cooper. Uh, so it's going to be this weird cacophony and mix so hopefully it all comes together like yes. a great concert. Yes. But that yeah. finishes off uh, two podcasts at the moment. We just finished our Invincible podcast with the finale, uh, which myself and Chris have been covering. Uh, all eight episodes of that. We finished that uh, this week. Falcon the Winter Soldier, the book is closed uh, for this one. And next up, we're heading to a galaxy far, far away. And staying with animation, we're going to be covering Star Wars The Bad Batch. Uh, that show begins on uh, Tuesday the 4th of May, uh, which is just in a couple of days' time. Um, not sure exactly what we're going to be covering those first couple of episodes for the show. We're probably going to be releasing them uh, towards towards the end of next week. Uh, there's two episodes out next week. The first one is a, I think, 50-minute long uh, opener, and then they'll have regular 20 to 30 minute episodes for uh, for the rest of the series but uh, looking forward to that we will also be staying in animation this month uh, for Modoc, uh, as mentioned by one of our lovely listeners uh, in their feedback we will be covering Modoc, um which is going to be airing on star from the end of may so uh, in marvel but not as tied to uh, to the canon, let's say, as all of these shows have been. Um, it feels like it's going to be making a lot of jokes uh, at, at Marvel's expense, which they kind of need now. That'll be a bit of fun. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yes, and also, where in what other universe can you get John Hamm as Iron Man, um, Nathan Fillion as Wonder Man, Simon mm-hmm. Williams, and that's just the beginning. Absolutely. There are hundreds of cameos, apparently, <laughs> of just different random characters, and I can't wait. Don't forget Patton Oswald as the star of the show, as Modoc himself. Um, oh, his, I can't. His second, actually probably his seventh role in the Marvel Universe since he played yeah. uh, the 
uh, I think it was quadruplets by the end of it um, in uh, in Agents of Shield. So uh, it'd be great to have Pat Nazel back on screen for that. Yes. That's it. That's all the stuff we're going to be covering coming up. Thanks so much for joining us. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast over on tvpodcastindustries.com to get coverage of all of the shows that we're covering. Uh, I'm really looking forward to speaking more Marvel with you in the future. Yes, thank you so much for joining us. And make sure you head on over to patreon.com slash tvpodcastindustries to help us keep the lights on. But more importantly, head on over to tvpodcastindustries.com where you subscribe to all of our feeds to make sure you do not miss an episode anytime we put it out. Yes. Thank you so much, fellow defenders, for joining us on the drive down our digitally enhanced German highway, which is the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, Autobahn, John. Autobahn. Well, Autobahn, highway, motorway, um, a road, who knows. Um, But thanks so much for joining us. Uh, It's really uh, been uh, great having all the discussion, all the feedback, all the entrance into the pub quiz uh, is really good getting all your thoughts on these fabulous shows. So, yeah, thanks so much. And we will be back soon in a galaxy far, far away. Woohoo! And just remember, keep watching, keep listening, and keep defending. Bye. 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 You ain't got no money. You got the money.